Welcome back to Boozy Bracketology, where we're the home of strong drinks, strong opinions, and crowning champions. My name is Jeff, and I'm going to be your host tonight as we begin this new bracket, The Best Robin Williams Movie. With us tonight, we've got a lovely group to help us make these tough decisions, so let's dive in and find out how they're doing and what they're drinking. Up first, we've got Chris. Hey, so uh, I'm doing well. Um, for those of you that don't know, I was sick for a little bit, so I actually still can't drink. I've got about another week or two to to go before I can actually have some tasty alcohol in my stomach. But I am anxiously looking forward to that, and maybe by the end of uh, by the end of this bracket, I might be able to. We'll talk to the doctor and see. Um, doing well, doing well though. I am looking forward to this. Uh, I will caution everyone by saying. Um, I didn't look at this as the best Robin Williams movie. I looked at this as what is the best Robin Williams performance in a movie. Um, although I don't think it's necessarily going to change any of my votes, but that's the interpretation I had of it. But uh, no, I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to this. It's good to get back in the recording chair. I'm really, really looking forward to this. I haven't done a, uh, I don't think I've been a panelist since like August or September of last year. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's great to have you back. Is it? Can't. Oh, I can't wait. We really need some of those hot takes to go along with our cold drinks. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so, also with us, back again on the mic, is Mike. <laughs> it is so wonderful to see all you lovely people. It's been far too long. Uh, just happy to be back doing boozy again. Uh, things are going great here. I've, uh, I guess, I'm drinking for two tonight uh, in Chris's honor. I brought one of my patented uh, dessert in a can type of beers. Uh, this is uh, of the 10W40 series from Highwire Brewing. I think I've had others of these before. I know I had their Mexican hot chocolate at one point, and this is the banana split. Oh, that sounds so good. Yeah. Yeah. Had had a good dinner. Now I'm ready for a little dessert. It's an imperial stout brewed with banana cacao nibs vanilla and lactose and at the bottom underneath it i guess just because it says banana split at the top and at the very bottom it says contains alcohol <laughs> thanks for the clarification high wire brewing all right oh man hmm. ah but no it's um it tastes just like you would expect it. It is great to be back, uh, like Chris, uh, and this will factor into one or two of my decisions. Uh, maybe not this episode, but definitely next episode. I also interpreted it as best Robin Williams performance as opposed to necessarily best Robin Williams movie. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see how that shakes out. But it, as always with these things, everybody's got their interpretation. So we'll see. Yep, can't argue that. Um, coming in third. With our third panelist, Leah. Leah, how are you doing and what are you drinking tonight? Oh, it has been a day. It has been a very rough day. Um, so I cracked open a nice can of Diet Coke um, a little bit ago. Um, I wanted to save it for the podcast so I could do the little or whatever sound that is. <laughs> no, that's not the sound that it actually sounds like, but you guys do the fun can opening sound, and uh, I couldn't wait. I needed the caffeine. I already actually took a nap earlier, after, right before my second dinner um, of the night. So, yeah, that's how my day is going. So I'm just going to uh, wash down my second dinner with a little Diet Coke, and I'm happy to be here. And um, looking forward to this bracket, but also kind of nervous about it. So we'll yeah. see what happens. Yeah, there's definitely some uh, definitely some decisions to be made, and in doing that, our final panelist, Stephen, how are you doing? And what's in your glass tonight? Oh, I'm doing about ninety nine percent good. Uh, unfortunately, that one percent bad is my big toe because earlier a server got dropped on it. Oh, so it's swollen and purple, and I'm about 50% on whether or not I'm going to get to heat this toenail. So, it's not broken or anything, but it's nasty. Be thankful that this isn't a video podcast. Fortunately, I have the only thing that will bring sweet, sweet relief to me. That's a Diet Dr. Pepper cherry right there, boys and girls. Mm. That's what the doctor ordered. 
Can't can go wrong there. <laughs> I want one. Very good. Gimme. <laughs> <laughs> we'll 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 pass around the diet, Dr. Pepper Cherry later. Um, for me, um, in somewhat of an oddity in these uh, recordings, I have actually gotten myself a beer. Whoa! Yes, it's. Uh, we picked up some beer for the Super Bowl, um, and of course, there's no way I'm drinking a whole twelve pack. But uh, I've got a few left over here from the Cigar City Brewing. Uh, this is the Gaiabera Citra Pale Ale. And, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty fantastic. I know everyone loves the IPAs, but I still love just a classic pale ale. It looks, it's for, for outside <laughs> the podcast, those that are listening, it looks so weird to see Jeff drink anything other than whiskey. <laughs> it does. It's true. It feels weird. But, uh, you know, it's a change. And change is good. But what we won't be doing is having a fifth panelist with us. So as you heard, we had our four panelists today. Um, normally we have a fifth tie-breaking vote, but since we don't today, if it dumps, does come down to a tie, uh, I'll go ahead and consider all opinions and make that tie-breaking vote myself. It's just Changes. like in college basketball when the referee takes control of the game towards the end and starts calling fouls willy-nilly. <laughs> exactly. Or the end of the Super Bowl. I mean, one or the other. <laughs> yeah. Or any litany of various playoff games that were decided by a coin. It's <laughs> all the same. Or an umpire's discretion on where the plate goes to. Never mind, I'm done. Go West <laughs> what? <laughs> um, well, all right, let's dive in. Our, uh, our first matchup is going to be our number one seed, Goodwill Hunting, versus our number eight seed, Man of the Year. Getting us kicked off is Chris. I have four words for everybody. It's not your fault. I mean, that says all you need to know about the Robin Williams performance in Goodwill Hunting. It's not your fault. Will, it's not your fault. Over and over and over again until young Matt Damon is sobbing uncontrollably into Robin Williams' uh, chest. It is a powerful scene in a movie built around powerful performances from the leads down to the bottom. I mean, that movie is a top five film for me. And Robin Williams' performance is one of, if not the main reason for that. With that being said, Man of the Year, I feel a little bit slighted that it's coming in as an eight seed. I really do. Um, it's not a great movie. I'm not arguing that it is. But it's not terrible. It's oddly topical. It's still funny. Um, it suffers from the whole, the movie probably should have ended with him winning the presidency instead of actually him going into it. And now there's this this mini like thriller and this little bit of romance kind of twinged in at the end, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The movie caps at like the, the midway point and tails off, but it's not terrible. And Robin Williams is freaking funny in it. He really is. But this is a juggernaut. This is Goodwill Hunting. It's not close. And we get started right out of the gate with a juggernaut. Um Goodwill Hunting, pick him up the first votes. Up next is Mike. Son of a bitch. He stole my line. <laughs> <laughs> How about them? Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, you said you said it very well about Man of the Year. Uh, I saw it in theaters, thought the first half was was pretty good, really funny, and then it, and then it tapers off. And I, I haven't felt any compulsion to go back and see it again. Uh, and honestly, the the whole voting machine thing probably would not play very well now if I did go back to rewatch it. So, yeah, but it doesn't matter. Uh, you said it. This is the juggernaut. This is what won Robin Williams his Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor is Goodwill Hunting. He is absolutely fantastic in that movie, and I guarantee we'll be talking about it more in the next round. So, Goodwill Hunting. All right, Goodwill Hunting picks up a second vote. Leah. Well, I mean, everyone's kind of said it. It's a one seed for a reason. Robin has such a quiet but important performance in Goodwill Hunting. I know that it, the film was like really groundbreaking for Matt Damon and a little bit for Ben Affleck too for writing. Um, but I remember coming out of the movie thinking about Robin Williams. That's the that's the performance that 
I personally connected with. Um, and so that has a lot of value for me when he was just the supporting actor, but he's the one I'm leaving the theater thinking about. Uh, so that's why it's going to get my vote. All right. Goodwill Hunting picking up a third vote. Steven. Yeah, this one isn't tough at all, but it is a good illustration, I think, of something that we're going to see throughout this bracket and that uh, Goodwill Hunting, Robin Williams is not the lead in it. We only get him a little bit. And I think he's better that way because when Robin Williams is on, he's so manic and so spastic. It can get grating if he's the main character of a film. That's, I think, one of the reasons why Man of the Year does tend to drag is that by the time we get into that third act, we've kind of gotten enough Robin Williams. And it, the plot does fall apart, too. That's far, by far the bigger sin. Uh, but Goodwill Hunting, it, it's perfect. It's that little splash of cream in the coffee of the film. That's what the Robin Williams performance is, and that's why it's refreshing. It's great. It's Goodwill Hunting. It's moving on. All right, Goodwill Hunting with the sweep. We'll be moving on. Our next matchup is the three seed of Night at the Museum versus the six seed of AI. With the first choice is Mike. When I saw AI on here, before I went further down, I was like, are you mixing up AI and Bicentennial Man? Because I did not remember Robin Williams being an AI. And as I went and actually Googled it, there was good reason, because he was only a voice in it. He wasn't, I mean, he, there might have been some sort of motion capture type of thing, but he was essentially a computer animated figure for, and, you know, it was fine. It, there was nothing bad about it. it as, as, you know, Stephen just mentioned, he's, you know, he's a... Uh, sometimes more powerful in in movies in small doses and but i think that holds even more true of him as teddy roosevelt in night at the museum uh, oddly enough the not not the only time on this bracket that he's going to be playing a president uh but probably the only time that he has a chance to move past the first round sorry slight spoiler alert uh night at the museum is getting my vote here because i remember his performance as teddy roosevelt uh much more so than the completely forgotten performance as the animated doctor dude in ai all right night at the museum gets us started with the first vote leah yeah both of these roles are kind of stereotypical for i mean robin has done those types of roles multiple times and we'll see them on this bracket he's got this like goofy com um, comedic energy um and he does it really well um for obviously in night in the museum he was portraying a real life person uh for ai it was i, I don't even actually know what he was supposed to be in ai um i watched some of the scenes earlier today and i was just like huh this is what put him on the bracket was this performance um it just was totally forgettable for me because i didn't even remember it the first time i had watched ai so i had to go back and rewatch it but night at the museum is memorable when i hear anything about teddy roosevelt i'm picturing robin williams in my head um ai is just a strange film and i don't think it really deserved to put robin on this list um for his portrayal in it so yeah i'm gonna go with night at the museum all right night at the museum picks up a second vote steven I feel terrible for uh, bagging on AI because it's a film that I want to love more than I do. And I don't love it that much because it's a bad film. It's just, it doesn't hold together. It, it doesn't make much sense. But the history of the film where it's basically Coppola wanted to make a Spielberg film. And for years, he and Spielberg went back and forth. Who was going to direct it? Who was going to produce it? And eventually Spielberg ended up making it as kind of a tribute to his friend who passed far too early and it, it, it feels like spielberg trying to copy some shots it's it, it's it's a mess um it's a it's it's a mess of a film um but i admire it for what it's trying to be at least uh fortunately we're talking about robin williams performances here and in ai robin williams is basically just um what, did I say Coppola this whole time? Have I been did, saying I, the wrong director? Yeah, you have. I was going to correct you later oh. and get some Kubrick uh, bona fides am, back, but I don't get to now because you caught yourself. Damn it. That was, <laughs> damn it. Damn it. Okay, uh, thank God I got it because otherwise Mike would be making the same joke for the rest of eternity. Uh, <laughs> so, Kubrick. I am an idiot. Kubrick went back and forth with them. Same idea. Spielberg copying that. 
fortunately, let's I'll just fast forward to the end. Robin Williams, uh, we're judging his performances, and in AI, he's sort of Google, I guess, is what he's trying to be, um, which is weird because it came out like the same time Google was coming out, basically. Like, I think it's a year or two ahead, but whatever. It, it's it's a nothing performance. Like, you know, like Leah said, you didn't even remember Robin Williams is in it because there's nothing there for him to do. Uh, it, uh, all this to say, Night at Museum obviously gets my vote, and I'll talk about it more later. But I, I just wanted to say some nice things about AI and make myself look like an idiot, apparently. <laughs> oh, right. Night at Museum picks up a third vote, and we're moving over to Chris. Well, I don't get to get my Stanley Kubrick card back, I guess. Sorry. Um, <laughs> we, we hear a lot of people talking about, like, we're voting for Men at the Museum because AI was and AI is not a good movie, and Robin Williams is a glorified Google. He's actually a really bad Google. He's more like Alexa, where it's like, I thought I heard you say this, so I'm going to give you this answer. <laughs> it's you. It's it's It's... It really is bad AI is what it boils down to. No, I, I go to Night at the Museum and not because like, oh my gosh, it's an amazing movie, but he's only in the movie for, what, 15 minutes tops, if that, maybe maybe closer to like five or 10. He's not in the movie that often, but Robin Williams' portrayal in that movie, not just as President Roosevelt, and he actually does this really, he does a really good stoic. He's got some stoicism in there that's, that's evident, a lot like Teddy Roosevelt, I imagine Teddy Roosevelt to be. But he's the the emotional center. He's the emotional person that can kind of ground Ben Stiller and kind of walk him through the reality of what's going on, but also helps him come to the emotional core of the film. That's not there without the performance that Robin Williams has. It's actually a really layered performance in a zany comedy. Like, he was perfectly okay letting uh, Steve Coogan, Owen Wilson, and a T-Rex run around the museum. He was 100% okay being the emotional tether for Ben Stiller. And I don't think he gets enough credit for it. I'm not saying it's an amazing movie, but I'll tell you right now, if Night at the Museum's on, unless Jaws is on, I might watch it. There's other movies in that list too, but we're not going to go there now. All right. Night at the Museum is Chris's second favorite movie, and it will be moving on <laughs> to the next round. Followed by Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. All right. Our next matchup is going to be the four seed of The World According to Garp versus the five seed of Moscow on the Hudson. Kicking it off is Leah. Oh man, this is rough. Um, I can say the world according to Garp kind of freaked me out. Um, Robin Williams was fine in it. Um, I wouldn't say anything he did was super standouty. Um, but in the Moscow on the Hudson, he had to have an accent. So that's really going to be why I think he did a better performance is that he had to do that movie with an accent. So that's going to get my vote. Moscow on the Hudson for me. All right. Robin Williams accent gets a vote for Moscow on the Hudson. Correct. Steven. So the world according to Garp, uh, it's a good film. Um, it sort of works in spite of itself because it's got a really well, a lot of complicated things going on. Um, but that doesn't matter here, because it's up against Moscow on the Hudson. And I hate Moscow on the Hudson. It lasts forever. It's this shitty Cold War propaganda thing. It goes on and on, and there is just no forward momentum. The moment he defects from then on, there is no forward momentum for the next two fucking, not hours, years. That's what it feels like. Moscow on the Hudson is just a pile of trash. I would rather watch, I, I don't know, snuff films, because at least something happens. They're terrible. I don't want to see them but I'd rather do that than seven more days of Moscow on the goddamn Hudson. It's an awful film. Miss it. There's not a single joke in it that lands. It, it's The accent is not that good. It, 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 I don't know. Who is this? Oh, I know who this is for. This is for boomers in the Cold War that need reassurances that the American way is so much better than anything in Moscow that they absolutely, like, like you'll have a panic attack when you see how many goddamn groceries we have. That was, like, the most exciting scene of the film, when he saw all the coffee. That was the highlight. If you feel like seeing lots of cans of coffee and watching a man have a slight panic attack, it's up your alley. If that's going to sustain you for three hours, Moscow on the Hudson is your film. If you have a pulse and a brain... Go see the world according to Garth. Which is my vote. It's not clear. 
I do believe the world, according to Garp, just got a vote. Um, and that splits our votes right now. Let's see how the rest of this goes. Chris. I have to follow Steven. This is, I know how Nikki feels now. Great. <laughs> um, All on one breath, please. So. Now I'm trying to do it in one breath and it's not going to work. <sighs> <sighs> no. Um, this is a, this is the one that I came into going like, I don't really know what I, I'm going to pick because. I actually remember Moscow on the Hudson a lot better than I remember the world according to Garp. Um, and it's because there's actually memor- memorable scenes that are at least entertaining to me. The coffee scene is hilarious, by the way. Steve said the jokes in land. That coffee scene's actually, I, I'm laughing at it. I thought it was funny. Um, but there's the scene towards the, I think at the, at the end of the movie, Stephen, where he's in the bar with his lawyer, if I'm not mistaken, his immigration lawyer, and he's just, saying, you know, American happiness is freedom. You don't have freedom. And he's talking to another guy that happens to be Russian. And I'm like, oh, that's supposed to be like the emotional core of this film. And it just really kind of falls flat. And I didn't think of the propaganda angle at all. It just didn't make sense because the guy didn't say anything to him. He just kind of looked at him and said, I'm Russian. Oh, you're Russian? I'm Russian too? Okay, maybe being here isn't so bad. It just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It it didn't ring true. Um, Life According to Garp. That's that's a there's a lot of heavy lifting in that story, a lot of heavy lifting in that story, and it's not the easiest in. It really is not. It's a better movie, and that's not close. But I actually think it is a more layered, more nuanced performance by Robin Williams. You see him really start to stretch some of his uh, his dramatic acting chops uh, more so here than he did in Moscow on the Hudson. So my vote goes to the world according to Garp. All right, second vote for the world according to Garp. Give it over to Mike. And here we have a moral dilemma. Because there is very much part of me that wants to vote for Moscow on the Hudson just to force Jeff to make a decision between two <laughs> movies that I can pretty much guarantee he's never seen. <laughs> but I'm, I'm not not going to do that, Jeff. Uh, Moscow on the Hudson, Stephen kind of hit it on the head. And by the way, Stephen, I have missed you so much. Um, it is. It's, it's one of those... It's in that kind of vein. I'm not going to compare it to Rocky IV because Rocky IV single-handedly won the Cold War. But it's those 80s movies where we were – there were a lot of movies in the 80s where we were really hitting hard how much better we were than Soviet Russia. We weren't wrong, but it was it was just a lot. And Moscow on the Hudson kind of falls into that. World According to Garp, I had read the book, which is very good, and – I honestly watched because I was intrigued, like, how does this work as a movie? And the answer is kind of. It's not bad. Uh, you know, they, they obviously have to do, um, you know, they, they, cut, they cut some parts out of the book and they have to reinterpret a couple things. That's, that's any, any book. For the most part, uh, with a few exceptions, uh, the book tends to be better than the movie. The World According to Garp is still the better film and – more pertinently to me, Robin Williams' performance in the World According to Garp, which is one of probably one of his first more serious performances, if you can even call it that, in the World According to Garp. But um, but it was, I mean, more serious than a lot of his other stuff because uh, that was pretty early on. But uh, he does do a very good job in it, interpreting that role. And so I will also vote for the World According to Garp and spare Jeff having to make that decision. Oh, all this time I've spent researching, and now I don't even get to make a choice. So close. <laughs> what, what, uh, what would you have gone with out of curiosity? If, for the record, uh, Moscow on the Hudson is better. <laughs> <laughs> he, he has a beard. That's okay. what I went on. <laughs> that beard with that accent? I mean, it's surprising uh, they didn't yeah, make that, it all that the didn't way come, come through quite as much on the... Uh, one picture I looked at, but yeah, uh, clear, clearly the better movie. But Chris, the world according to Garp, reflection there, you might want to uh, work on your accent a little bit. That is true. <laughs> very, very true. Oh boy. Okay, a lot. You know, the key to having a Russian accent is to pretend that you have a little piece of poop on the bottom lip that you don't want to touch your mouth. <laughs> oh, you yeah. keep it out like this, and that, that is true. That is how they teach you. Wow. Huh. Oh my God. And here, people thought they were coming for brackets. (laughs) 
All right, we're moving on to our final matchup in this first region. It is going to be the two seed of Awakenings versus the seven seed of August Rush. Up first to Steven. So let me give you a little hot take to go along with the cold drink I'm having right now. Um, I do not like the works of one Charles Dickens. And I know that's hard to believe. We're supposed to all love him. I find his work needlessly obtuse, slow-moving, and impenetrable. Oliver Twist falls into that category. And just that you dress it up and pretend it's about music does not make Oliver Twist a good story. The best review I could find for August Rush has this quote. You could make gallons of maple syrup from all the sap that drips off of August Rush. <laughs> that perfectly encapsulates it like a dinosaur fly in amber. August <laughs> Rush is as bad as its source material, and even worse for it, it's going up against an incredible film. You know it's a serious film because, yes, there's a beard involved. Awakenings gets my vote. And Awakenings gets us started with the first vote. Chris? Uh, I'm going to try and say something nice about August Rush. I'm not a big fan, as Steven said. it's It goes out of its way to bring emotional drama into the story when it's absolutely not necessary. Go go watch that movie. What happens between the the mother the father and then it's it's it it goes out of its way to milk as much hallmark channel family drama into one script as possible but robin williams is actually genuinely good acting with children he really is and he's charming and he's innocent and he just deals with the kid in in, in my opinion a very real way and then you put him up against awakenings awakenings that got robert de niro a best acting nod um and Robin Williams did not get a best acting nod in the Oscars. I think Leah told me he got one in the Golden Globes. I think I just stole I just stole some of her uh her flavor text, but go back and watch that movie. Like Robin Robin Robert De Niro is definitely putting on a show. He's putting on an acting clinic. He's phenomenal in it. Robin Williams isn't a slouch. The scenes are there together. He's not a pushover. It's just that he has to play a more subdued character, and he plays that character very well. It's not the best Robin Williams performance, spoiler alert. But it's a solid performance up against one of the best actors in probably it's probably around the time he was doing some of his best work. So no, I'm I'm giving it to Awakening Awakenings all day long. All right, Awakenings picks up our second vote. Mike. I do want to echo uh, what Chris said about Robin Williams in in August Rush. He's honestly about the most watchable thing about that movie because Robin Williams does Earnest pretty well. And and Sap, as, as Stephen said, that, that's actually, for all of his mania, Robin Williams actually can do those types of performances pretty well. But let me tell you something. Up until about 48 hours ago, I had not had the absolute pleasure of ever seeing Awakenings. I'd always been kind of on my radar on the periphery. One of those movies I'd like to see if I ever get around to it. That movie is fantastic. It is just uh, a wonderful film, and I, I and I genuinely I didn't even completely know how it was going to go in the second half, and and so that sucked. But uh, but no, both of both the lead performances, and it's you know very beginning of the movie. It's side by side. It's Robin Williams and Robert De Niro. I mean, he was get at that point in his career, he was already getting co billing with one of the greatest actors. <laughs> of the, the that generation it, and and he does he holds his own it's a fantastic performance it's not super showy it's kind of like tom cruise up against uh dustin hoffman and rain man dustin hoffman gets all the accolades tom cruise's performance is also fantastic in that it's the same kind of thing uh but robin williams absolutely deserves all the credit in the world for that performance and awakenings gets my vote here too all right awakenings picking up a third vote and leah yeah, I kind of struggled a little bit with this one. Um, obviously, Awakenings is a better film, um, but I did struggle with if I was comparing these two just by his performance. Um, obviously, everyone has already said it, like Bob De Niro gets more credit and more accolades for Awakenings than Robin Williams does. Um, you know, he 
his role wasn't that big, um, but his role was even smaller than that in August Rush. So it's kind of hard to really compare the two. Um, he had, I think, a more standout-ish role in August Rush, so I was going to give kind of some points for him that way. But ultimately, I came back to which role would I want to watch more of, and I think I would want to watch him more in Awakenings. Um, it is a more serious role, a more quiet um, performance, and I think that that complements uh, Bob De Niro a lot. So you know, we're if even if we're comparing the actual performances of the characters, we have to take into consideration the context in which they're acting. Um, and so that's why I'm going to give it to Awakenings for this. Hey, real quick, I'm gonna need a I'm gonna need a sequel movie from an eighties classic. I need a what about Bob De Niro movie. Do people not call him Bob? No, is that just me? I think his, his friends, friends call do. Him Bob. Um, yeah. Apparently, you are a friend of his. Yeah, yeah, we hang we hang all the time. He's still alive, right? Yes. Okay. I always wondered about that. All right. Well, we have friends with Bob De Niro. Night at the Museum is Chris's second favorite movie of all time. We are learning all sorts of things today. <laughs> Um, all right, Awakenings is also sweeping its way to the next round. Moving on to Region 2, we get started with our one seed of Aladdin versus our eight seed of Father's Day. Kicking it off is Chris. <laughs> Aladdin. And Aladdin picks up the first vote. Uh, we're going to go over to Mike. I think Chris said everything that needed to be said. <laughs> Father's Day, eh. I saw it when it came out. I think it's mostly remembered today as the reason that Robin Williams and Billy Crystal also made a cameo on Friends because they were filming it nearby. Now, <laughs> Aladdin, we'll talk more about it later. It's like, it's the it's the performance that I learned who Robin Williams was Really, I mean, as a kid of 10, even though I'd seen him in other things, it was like, that's now, oh, I know who Robin Williams is, and he's the fucking genie. No, Aladdin. All right, Aladdin picks up its second vote. Leah. Well, I'm going to use this time to give a shameless plug for our Facebook group. Join us in the lounge, fans <laughs> of the Pub Trivia Experience and Boozy Bracketology, because it is there that uh, people actually, our fans, decided to vote Father's Day onto this bracket. I kind of put it out there and said, hey, what Robin Williams movies are you guys interested in hearing us discuss? And Father's Day made it onto this bracket when it wasn't originally going to be on here because of you guys. So thank you all for that. I wish we were spending more time talking about it, but it's up against Aladdin. It's... it's I don't think anyone in the world would actually vote Father's Day over Aladdin. I think it would be a 100% sweep if you pulled every single person in the entire universe. Every single person in the entire universe would vote Aladdin over Father's Day. So I will do the same as I is, I, I am one person in this universe. All right. And Aladdin picks up every single vote in the universe. Uh, but we still need to hear from Steven. <laughs> well, shit. I didn't know the thing. Voted and I had to think of something to say about Father's Day. Um, Father's Day is based originally off of a French film, and the French make terrible cinema, and it shines forth despite the talent that's in Father's Day. There, I said something about it. Aladdin gets my vote. <laughs> <laughs> and Aladdin is walking its way into the next round. Our next matchup is the three seed of Hook versus the six seed of The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. But the first vote is Mike. Jeff, I'm confused. My my bracket says the adventures of Baron Mashusix. <laughs> that was that was some good spelling there. Uh, no, nah, um, I'll, I'll be. I didn't. I didn't get the chance to watch all of the adventures of Baron Munchausen. I I watched a couple of clips on YouTube, and it was it it was intriguing. It looks interesting. It looks kind of trippy. Uh, I may follow up on it at some point. Uh, Robin Williams looks kind of trippy and manic and crazy in it, but I mentioned last time that Aladdin was the performance that put Robin Williams on my uh, young childhood radar. Well, the other performance was Hook. <laughs> Hook was a fantastic performance because he's got to do, he's got to sell the whole serious thing as well as the whole 
childhood mania thing. I mean, it was it was honestly a role that was just tailor made for Robin Williams. Hooks, <sighs> Hooks, not a great film. It's got some great moments. Uh, it's and it, but it it doesn't hold up as well as it did to me when I was a kid. I still enjoy it. And I definitely think Robin Williams' performance, based on what I saw of the adventures of Baron whatever, uh, I think Robin Williams' performance in Hook uh, probably deserves to move on here. So I'm going to give it my vote. All right. Hook gets us started with the first vote. Leah. Rufio, Rufio, Rufio. Hook was like my jam when I was younger. I loved Hook. Um and if we're just even comparing, um, you know, how good of an actor Robin Williams was in Hook, Mike said it. he has to go from the stuffy lawyer to the Wonder Boy, pretty much. I mean, you believe him in both roles. You believe him as this uptight, like, absentee father who's, like, addicted to work. And you also see that transition. And when I mean, it's ridiculous. He is a grown-ass man pretending to be Peter Pan. But he embraces that role 110%, just like he does in everything that he does. And it's just amazing to watch. He, like, he becomes a grown-ass Peter Pan. And, you know, it's it takes a special kind of actor to put on tights and fly around like Peter Pan and act like Peter Pan when his character finally remembers his identity. So, yeah, I I, I am going to go with Hook. Um, sorry to Baron Mooshtashushush. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm voting for Hook. <laughs> All right, Hook up Hook picks up another vote. Steven. I was very excited when I saw this matchup because The Adventures of Aaron Munchausen is a Terry Gillen film that I haven't seen. And I, I love Terry Gillen films. I don't think he's the best filmmaker, but he is a filmmaker that's always interesting and thought provoking. And I have in my capacity as a cinephile, made people watch Terry Gillen films. I've sat on the couch enjoying myself as Brazil or Time Bandits or Tidelands plays, and I've seen the horror slowly creep into a person who is not prepared for the type of cinema that they were about to see, sitting next to me knowing that this relationship will never be the same because that creepy doll mask at the end of Brazil. (laughs) And now I know what it feels like to be that person, because... The Adventures of Baron Munchausen is just not a good film. It, it's, it looks interesting, but maybe I've seen enough Terry Gillum now that I'm used to the style and it doesn't interest me as much. I just could not get into it. Hook, on the other hand, there's only been one incorrect thing said about it so far, and that was when we were told for some unconceivable reason that it's not a great film. That's just wrong. Think about all of the 90s films that is the exact same template of. Uh, the absentee father, something's wrong with the kids, the dad learns his lesson, they're reunited at the end. How many of those do you think of more than Hook? The answer is none, because Hook is the best example of that genre. And the reason it is, is because of an all-star performance by Robin Williams. He is great with kids, as has been said earlier. He's great playing both a straight guy, which he does at the, the beginning of it, and a comedic guy, which he does at the middle part. But the most important part of Hook is when they're at that baseball game and Jack hits the home run and Dustin Hoffman gets up and he says, go Jack, my Jack. And Robin Williams has that moment of reflection where he has that sort of whispered, my Jack. And he sort of realizes that he's lost this connection to his son in a way that most of those films that I mentioned earlier just don't have for some stupid reason. And that that scene alone makes it a great performance, regardless of all the rest of it, which is wonderful. So Hook, it's only a three seed here. I personally would have put it higher. Hook gets my vote. All right. Hook will also be sweeping its way to the next round. We assume. We assume. After we hear from Chris, because I forgot about him. (laughs) Yeah. Nowadays, everybody talks like they got something to say, but nothing comes out when they move their lips. Just a bunch of gibberish and motherfuckers act like they forgot about Chris. (laughs) Yes. Sorry. And the podcast ended there. (laughs) Relevant. Um, Oh, Lord, I have nothing to say to that, Mike. I'm sorry. So I'm not a Disney fan. I like Disney World. I really do. 
Uh, and I'm going to say this without looking my wife in the eye because I have a feeling this is going to come back and bite me in the butt. But Hook is the best version of Peter Pan that was ever made. It's much better than the cartoon. Listen to me. It's much better than the cartoon. Wow, that was a cold look. Um, I said this earlier. I kind of, I, I kind of laid the laid the groundwork here. Robin Williams is amazing when he's working with kids, because there's an innocence to the character that he brings out, and I, I don't know why, but it, it it feels like every time you see him acting with a child, it's a completely different, a different version of Robin Williams. You've never seen it before, and it's amazing to watch. And Hook epitomizes that. You know, the, the entire middle portion of that movie is him acting with kids, and it's amazing. And then you get the emotional heartstrings at the end. It's it's a phenomenal movie. Um, moving on. I have nothing else to say. I want to go back and watch Hook now, though. I'll, I'll watch it from the couch. It'll be okay. <laughs> and that we will. Hook will be moving on. She still has her arms crossed, by the way. <laughs> Ah, how fitting. Such a Peter Pan move. All right, our next matchup is the four seed of World's Greatest Dad versus the five seed of Bicentennial Man. Up first is Leah. Okay, so I think I'm going to give my vote for the Dear Evan Hansen's predecessor, World's Greatest Dad. Bicentennial Man is fine... Robin Williams is fine in it, but his performance doesn't stand out to me like it did in World's Greatest Dad. Uh, so it's uh, World's Greatest Dad is going to get my vote for sure. All right. World's Greatest Dad gets the first vote. Steven. This one's actually kind of a tough one for me in that I don't particularly love either one of these films. Um. At the end of the day, like I feel like though, if I if I have to sit down and watch either one of them, I'm going to be more annoyed watching Bicentennial Man because it's not the best version of Pinocchio. World's Greatest Dad might be the best version of what it's trying to be. There's probably a better example out there, but when I'm watching Bicentennial Man, I know I'm watching goddamn Pinocchio. Let me watch the Disney cartoon. The Disney cartoon is better in that case. Chris is right about Peter Pan. I'm going to go ahead and vote for World's Greatest Dad. All right. World's Greatest Dad picks up another vote. Chris. I'm 38 years old, and I just now realized that Bicentennial Man is Pinocchio. So there's that. About to be 39. Not going there. And you want to know why I never realized that is I've never given Bicentennial Man more than another second or two's worth of thought since I came out of the theater watching it. Theater? Blockbuster? I don't even know. I don't, I can't remember experiencing it. Um, World's Greatest Dad, it's, it's a tragic performance. It's someone dealing with a trauma that hopefully no one, hopefully you never have to deal with. Uh, no, I'm going with World's Greatest Dad, and it's, to me, not close because Bicentennial Man is, at best, that forgettable. All right, World's Greatest Dad picks up a third vote, and Mike. I wasn't sure which way this was one was going to go for everybody else because Bicentennial Man was not a movie that ever held any special place in my heart. But I knew that I know that it, it has for a lot of people. Uh, there's a lot of people that really, really like that movie. So I wasn't sure which way this was going to go. Uh, let me tell you something funny. It's a very interesting experience when after the credits of Awakenings rolls, and you immediately turn around and put on World's Greatest Dad. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so that was my, that was, that was, that was my uh, experience the other day. But let me tell you, I, World's Greatest Dad, it's, I don't, I found it interesting. I didn't love it or hate it. I, I just, I was fascinated by it i couldn't really look away and a huge part of that is the performance of robin williams where he has to go through all of these this he goes through this crazy emotional roller coaster in that movie and he does it all in a very believable way uh 
bicentennial man, I think he is more, <laughs> certainly more likable, but that's not what we're talking about here. His performance in World's Greatest Dad requires a lot of him, and he never hits a false note, and that's really part of what makes that movie work. So, uh, yeah, World's Greatest Dad, give it the sweep. All right, World's Greatest Dad, sweeping its way to the next round, and we are up to our final matchup. We've got the two-seed of The Birdcage versus the seventh seed of RV. Steven. The old undead RV dirty here. RV is a, it's not a great film, but it's a fun film. It's, I, I genuinely laugh when I watch it. I think the performances are good. I think the characters are believable. It, it, its biggest problem, really, is that it's not in any way an ambitious film. It's made to take up two hours' time and entertain us, and it completely succeeds in doing that. Uh, it, it, all the characters in it are delightful. The acting's good. Robin Williams is good in it. He's got newsflash. Robin Williams has good comedic timing. But <laughs> I mentioned at the top of this in the first one that Robin Williams, uh, he, 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 to me, he's best as a, as a side dish, as a sweetener, as it's not the main focus. And in the birdcage, it's the perfect use of your Robin Williams. He doesn't have to be ridiculously over the top every scene. That's what Nathan Lane is for. He doesn't have to be super straight. That's what the uh, kids, the actress playing is the kids are for. Uh, he doesn't even have to be really dry. Gene Hackman's nailing that. He just gets to be whatever he wants to be in that moment. And you can tell he's having so much fun, and he's so legitimately funny and every, and he's so legitimately endearing and sweet when they're talking about the palimony agreements. It is a film that touches, is hilarious, and I don't know, it's one of those films that needs to be part of our cultural landscape and just for some reason has not broken through completely. Uh, but The Birdcage, he's amazing, and we're going to have plenty of chances to talk about it, I'm sure. It gets my vote. All right, The Birdcage gets us started. Chris? I'm not going to waste any time talking about RV here, because God knows nobody wants to waste any more time talking about RV. The Birdcage is one of those movies, as someone who loves cinema, specifically, you know, 80s and 90s cinema... Um, it's one of those movies that when you see someone who hasn't seen it, it's the movie you go, oh, you need to see The Birdcage. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have not seen The Birdcage, you need to see The Freaking Birdcage. It's this really sweet story wrapped in this absurdist comedy about love and acceptance and the ability to change people's minds. It's really really touching that somehow today is still freaking relevant. We're still having this argument 20-something years later. But what I love about the Robin Williams performance is that it allows him to really explore every facet of what Robin Williams is. You get the really dramatic moments. You get the really zany moments. But you also get these moments of just controlled aggression in this movie where you can tell he's getting a little bit angry, whether it be at Nathan Lane or... Gene Hackman, he's he's letting it simmer, and it's a real small hint of it. It's very, very close to the top, close to the surface. It's impeccable acting. But at the end of the day, you're just supposed to believe it's a stupid comedy, and it's not. It's a phenomenal movie. It's a movie that I will always, always, always. If I hear someone say, Fosse, 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 I'm going, Martha Graham, Martha Graham, Martha Graham. Twyla, Twyla, you keep it all inside. It's great. Go see it. Hank Azaria, by the way, is awesome in it as well. But no, go see it. If you haven't seen The Birdcage, go see it. Stop right now. Go do it. All right. Birdcage picks up another vote. Mike. Stick around for another 10 or 15 minutes and finish the podcast and then go, then go do it. But uh, otherwise, I completely echo what Chris said. Uh, RV and what Steven said. RV, completely entertaining. Rob Williams, he's, he's, he's funny and he's fine. The Birdcage is is a masterpiece. I love that film. Like I, I probably could a while back. We did a bonus episode because a really long while back. We did a bonus episode for the pub trivia experience where I discussed my top five movies. And one of the ones in consideration was the birdcage, but I already had another Mike Nichols movie on there. So I didn't want to do two. And Robin Williams is fantastic in the birdcage that honestly, Robin Williams would win this matchup just because just for that one shot when Nathan Lane first walks in instead of being Uncle Albert he's pretending to be 
<laughs> the kid's mom. And there's the shot of Robin Williams' face and just his eyes and the, his reaction shot. It That alone is worth the price of admission. It, it And there are so many different aspects to that performance that are just simply fantastic. So uh, I'm going to slightly disagree with Chris. Like I said, finish, the po- finish listening to this episode of the podcast and then go watch The Birdcage if you haven't seen it. But The Birdcage is a fantastic movie and I'm looking ahead and I have some heartbreaking decisions to make later in this region, but The Birdcage definitely gets my vote here. All right, The Birdcage picks up a third vote. Leah. Yeah, let's sweep it. Um, I don't remember a whole lot about RV, except that Robin Williams was in it. But there's no way that you cannot remember his performance in The Birdcage. It's so good. And I think part of the charm of it all is that he literally has chemistry with everybody in that movie. Anyone he's in a scene with, it just pops. He's electric. Um, It's very unforgettable. So I'm going to vote for The Birdcage. All right. And The Birdcage will also sweep its way into the Sweet 16. And just like that, we've determined our first eight of the best Robin Williams performances. Join us next time as we take on the second half of our round of 32. And if you like what we're doing here and want to help support us, please feel free to check us out over at Patreon at patreon.com slash p-t-e-b-b. We've got all of our extra content from Boozy as well as our sister podcast, Pub Trivia Experience, um, on there where we have several different levels of support. Um, and we'd love to chat and hang out with you over on there on uh, Patreon. Um, as always, you can also find us at social media everywhere at Boozy Bracketology, except for on Twitter where we're Boozy Brackets. Uh, you can also join us in our Facebook group that was mentioned earlier, The Lounge, fans of Pub Trivia Experience and Boozy Bracketology. We're always on there sending out polls or talking about God knows what topic of the day, um, but it's a good place to be. Um, but for Boozy Bracketology, I have been your host, Jeff. I have been Chris reminding you that the only appropriate time to watch the movie RV is if you're actually in an RV driving through the deserts of Texas. <laughs> I have been Mike reminding you not to watch the world's greatest dad right after Awakenings. I'm Leah. I've been Steven, and yes, I know the birdcage is also based off a French film. Go fuck yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> All that, and we will see you on the next show.